Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Schuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life's website is religionforlife.com. There you can find information about upcoming shows, links to podcasts, and other interesting tidbits. And we have a very interesting guest today. I'm speaking uh, via Skype with Lloyd Gearing from halfway around the world in New Zealand, and he is talking about the future of faith. Lloyd Gearing is 95 years old. He just celebrated his 70th anniversary of his ordination into the Presbyterian Church of New Zealand. He faced heresy charges in 1967 because he understood the resurrection symbolically. Lloyd Gearing is a New Zealand icon, having recently received New Zealand's highest award, the Order of New Zealand. Retired from a distinguished academic career in religious studies in 1984, he's continued to lecture widely throughout the world and been a regular media columnist and commentator on religious topics. Author of numerous books, his latest contributions are Wrestling with God, The Story of My Life, and In Praise of the Secular. His forthcoming book is From the Big Bang to God, our awe-inspiring journey of evolution. Previously honored in 1988 as a companion of the British Empire, Lloyd Gearing is a public figure of considerable renown in New Zealand, where he is in constant demand as a lecturer and as a commentator on religion and related matters on both television and radio. In 1966, he published an article on the resurrection of Jesus, and in 1967, another on the immortality of the soul, which together sparked a two-year public theological controversy that culminated in charges by the Presbyterian Church of New Zealand, of which he's an ordained minister, of doctrinal error and disturbing the peace of the church. After a dramatic two-day televised trial, the assembly judged that no doctrinal error had been proved, dismissed the charges, and declared the case closed. He writes about the future of religion. In fact, some of his books include titles such as Christianity Without God, Christian Faith at the Crossroads, The World to Come from Christian Past to Global Future, Tomorrow's God, Faith's New Age, Coming Back to Earth from Gods to God to Gaia. And he is, this is the second part of a conversation with Professor Lloyd Gearing, and we're going to get right to the matter and talk about God and the future of faith. You speak in your books, uh, for example, in your most uh, in your 2009 book, from gods to God to Gaia, coming back to Earth, of not only the future of the Christian faith, but the future of human life on Earth. And I'm, I'm wondering, does Christianity, or can Christianity for that matter, or any of the world religions, offer something to this new global age? Uh, many of my friends, and, and they will be listeners uh, to this very program, think that Christianity is full of myths worthy of nothing more than to be discarded uh, from an age past. Uh, what do you think in Christianity uh, might be helpful uh, to us in our future? Well, first of all, I want to say that the modern world is the continuation of Christianity. It's the, the Christian West, for better or for worse, brought the modern world into being. I mean, this is an undeniable fact. The whole idea and practice of science emerged in the West. And, and in my book I'm just about to publish, I try to show that if it hadn't been for the dominance of the, and uh, prominence rather, uh, of the concept of God in Western thought, 
empirical science would never have got off the ground. And so the, what we have in the, although we call it a, a post-Christian world rather than a Christian world today, the word Christian is still there. And, and that the mod, what we know as secular values have, have all come out of the Christian tradition as, as could the Christian tradition, uh, let me put it this way, at the heart of Christian theology is the doctrine of the incarnation. That is, that God becomes man. Well, and while that is traditionally applied only to the person of Jesus, it's better to extend that, to apply it to the whole of humanity. Um, that is, the, the, all that we once were associated with God is now becoming enfleshed, embedded in, in the human species. And the more we uh, appreciate this, the more we shall be able to draw from the past, uh, draw even from its myths and legends, to supply us with the values we need in the future. And, and of course, I would want to say we, we live at a very delicate point in the history of humanity. Um, the, uh, the, the problems the world faces today are simply tremendous. I've, I've tried to um, talk about them in the book, uh, The World to Come, meaning, of course, the future of the, of the Earth. And I do it again in this book that's just about to come out, uh, so that um, uh, we shall need as we shall need as much help as we can possibly get uh, from our cultural past. And I would want to say it's not only from the Christian tradition, but but all the great religious traditions will have something to offer uh, in by way of values uh, to uh, help us overcome the problems of overpopulation, of uh, ecological disasters, of pollution of air and water. These are the big problems we face as a human species today. Lloyd Gearing, my guest on Religion for Life. You are the author of the upcoming book, From the Big Bang to God, Our All-Inspiring Journey of Evolution. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about the content of that book? Well, it simply tells the, um, the, the story of evolution of, uh, of uh, first of all, of the coming into being of the cosmos and then the coming into being of the earth and then the coming into being of life and then uh, the, the way in which life proceeded uh, through a certain great disasters which almost uh, wiped out, wiped it all out. It certainly wiped out big sections of it. And then it comes, it gets to the point of where Homo sapiens uh, arrives. And then the great emergence of language. Um, many books attempting to talk about evolution really stop before this point and just uh, end with Homo sapiens. That's only the first half of this book that carries on chronologically that through language, um, we, uh, we are able to build a thought world. And it is through the thought world that we tell stories, that we, be, that, um, we evolve religions, that we, we 
we um, develop sciences and so on, and in and uh, in and we all live in a thought world through which become the lens through which we look at the the universe itself, um, and and then it ends up with the problems that I've just been uh, talking about. So that's the sort of rundown of the book. Well, one of the big changes I think that is oftentimes difficult to grasp is the notion that God and its symbolism is really a product of human language. It is in a sense that human beings, if I can put it this way, uh, created God through language as opposed to perhaps the uh, version of the pre-modern version that God created the world and then human beings. And that, that shift of focus is, is a major part of the shift in thought that uh, we are undergoing, isn't it? Oh, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I, I bring that out as a very important point in, in, the, in the whole book. Uh, in fact, I, in, at a Readers and Writers uh, conference to which I've been uh, invited in about uh, six weeks' time, they have uh, asked me to actually give a lecture on how we humans made God. How did we do it? Ah, well, it was a very a long process in, in, which, it, in which the idea of God um, uh, arose out of the gods. The gods were the first, mm -hmm. uh, th and they were named, and then, then it was realized they belonged to a class of beings. Now, the interesting thing is that here in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have well documented the, the process by which the gods were replaced by the one. And the emphasis on the one God is not upon the word God, it's on the word one. That is why the Shema, of, uh, of, uh, which is the nearest thing in Judaism to a creed, says the Lord our God is one. That's the important thing. So it's this unifying of the world that enabled, uh, that provided the essential premise for the uh, for the for the rise of empirical science, because um, the the very early scientists in the Middle Ages were wanting to know more about the way God works, and the ways of God eventually became the um, empirical science. The it became the the ways of the natural world. And. Um... And you talk about that uh, in when you're, in your exciting book on Ecclesiastes, which is actually in which you create a dialogue with the author of Ecclesiastes. And I'm getting to the God thing that you uh, understood that the uh, preacher or the author of Ecclesiastes understood God as almost a, I don't know if this is right, a personification of nature or another word That's, for nature. Yes. Now, you see, the interesting thing is that the Hebrew language... Uh, the, and the ancient Hebrew language had no word for nature, as we do. And it's a, it's a very important concept in our way of thinking. But they had no such word for it. And I've, as I uh, studied the book of Ecclesiastes, I found that when, when Ecclesiastes uh, used the word God, and by the way, he never used the Hebrew term Yahweh at all, only uh, Elohim, God. And when he used it, and then the things he talked about it were 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 really uh, his way of talking about the the world of nature as we do, and so that's why I, in my dialogue with him, I try to tell him that that's what that's what he's really talking about. 
so um, uh, the, the the way on which um, I uh, wrote that book, it, I realised that no one would want to read a, a commentary on a on a on an Old Testament book, and by the uh, and the best way in right to bring out what he's getting about was uh, to attempt this dialogue with him using only his own words in in reply to my questions. And as you you know how the book goes, that's how, how it works. And it is a magnificent book. It's called Such as Life, A Close Encounter with Ecclesiastes. In fact, I used it for a whole series of sermons uh, last summer. Uh, my guest is Lloyd Gearing on Religion for Life. And we're, we're talking about... Um, uh, the future of faith, and I know you had a dialogue recently with uh, the physicist uh, Lawrence Krauss, and he every now and then spars with uh, religious folks. But I bet he met his match in you. How, how did that dialogue go? Well, I don't know that he met his match, but I had a marvelous time because um, I think when our dialogue was arranged, it was thought that uh, I would be speaking in a way in which I would. Uh, disagree with everything he said, and of course that wasn't to say I I I think he's a wonderful cosmologist myself, uh-huh. and um and and I agree with uh, a great deal of what he says. Where I uh, cross swords with him and uh, is that I thought he shouldn't be rubbishing God the idea in, in the way he was because um he 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 should be more appreciative of the way in which the idea of God laid the foundation for, for modern science. And I said, just uh, even though you disagree with your parents uh, as, as you grow up, because you live in a slightly different age, you, you honor your parents for what they've given to you. And so we should honor the, uh, our Christian past for what it has made possible in the present. I'm afraid he didn't agree with me, but we, <laughs> we had quite a vigorous debate about it. I'm wondering, you've also worked, of course, closely with the Jesus Seminar uh, as they uh, uncovered the historical person of Jesus, and, and you found that to be the historical Jesus uh, a helpful resource in terms of uh, perhaps our looking at uh, our global future? Now, yes, I have a great respect for what the uh, Jesus Seminar have done. The funny thing is, I used to be critical of the Jesus Seminar, not for the same reason as fundamentalists are, uh, critical, but for quite a different, quite the opposite. I felt they were attempting too much. I had come to the conclusion we would never be able to uh, to recover any re- uh, real knowledge of Jesus. And when um, Bob Funk came to New Zealand and I heard him speak, I was amazed because Bob wasn't a, a charismatic speaker, as you probably know, but he was a good, honest thinker. Mm-hmm. Well, his lecture made me feel closer to the historical figure than I'd ever been. And, and I have great respect for the results of the Jesus Seminar. What did Jesus really say? What did Jesus really do? Because although they are they appear minimal compared with what the traditional view of Jesus is, nevertheless they they bring out the fact that he was primarily a, a teacher, a sage, a wise man, a, a, a man who used parables to make people think because they often had a sort of sting in the tail you weren't quite expecting. And so I, uh, I think that uh, we can 
still find Jesus to be a, a, a stimulus to our own thinking. And of course, uh, his, he, he is unique in saying that we should love our enemies. And that, of course, is a, a, a message which the world needs. And indeed, if we, were, if we attempt to do that, we would transform the world. Lloyd Gearing, my guest on Religion for Life. You know, this is a question I, I think it gets asked to me or maybe is underneath a lot of questions. As we explore science, uh, we think of, of the incredible work by uh, cosmologist Lawrence Krauss or, or think of uh, evolutionary biologists and, 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 and the magnificence of uh, the universe and, and the world as we're understanding it. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of place for God, at least traditionally understood, and I think people feel a loss about that. They feel a little lonely or out of place, and, and perhaps when we even challenge notions of, uh, of life after death, there's a, a feeling of kind of lostness. But you don't have that feeling, as I, as I read your works. Uh, no, you, you, you find a no, sense I, of sacredness no, in all of it. Oh, yes. I, I, I think the universe itself um, is a... Is, is enough to fill one with awe and wonder. And, and not just the size and so of the universe, but the way in which out of a, a, apparently uh, lifeless uh, objects, uh, lifeless matter, uh, life itself has emerged and the way it has emerged. It, and, and as I've learned to uh, more about it in attempting in 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 writing this book, the the more I have been seized with wonder, and in that respect, of course, I I, I learned a lot, and indeed started off in this by by reading Teilhard de Chardin's Phenomena of Man way back in the early 60s when it when it came out, and and see Teilhard de Chardin, devout Roman Catholic as he was, um, saw, saw the whole evolutionary process as a, as a way of understanding God. Uh, he, he rarely uses the word God at all, but he is amazed at this whole process. It's, a, it's tremendous. The real, one of the problems, of course, about the whole process of evolution is that there's no guarantee of where it's going to go, and indeed, in the past, it has, it has, um, it has been a, often a case of chance uh, rather than anything else. That see, when when species evolve, it's because of chance mutations, and um, so it's 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 because of accidents we're here, and and this is a. Uh, this is a, in one way it's unsettling. On the other hand, it's simply amazing that we're here at all. It is amazing, and that sense of faith that you alluded to uh, earlier, of that trust, is is not a faith or trust that. Um, that it's all been fixed and it's the same, Jesus Christ is the same before and now and forever or whatever, um, but it's really a trust of being able to uh, find the courage to go off into the unknown, not That's knowing right. what the answers and, and are. To play, and to face the unknown, yes. The future is always unknown. And uh, that's, that's what gives it 
both its excitement and also, of course, uh, the fears which we have about it. Thinking about it, this will take, take a different angle altogether. Uh, as I'm speaking with you, and I'm thinking about all of the churches that we have all all over the world, your country and my country, and and that people go and they go to worship. Um, but the the object of worship seems to be a god of the past. And what do you think worship might look like? What do you think ritual um, might look like? And what kind of rituals? that we might need uh, to be able to embrace this unknowing faith of into the future as well as uh, as embracing some of the real problems that we're facing? Well, the focal points of worship in uh, that we should be moving to are, are these kinds. One, we need to celebrate togetherness. And I think the value of congregational worship is that it brings people uh, together to form a community, a, a unity, a, 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 a body of uh, people who um, are sharing the faith they have. That's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect that I want to emphasize is that instead of focusing um, on some uh, in, in our minds on some imagined picture of God in heaven or of Christ by his sitting at his right hand and so on, we need to focus upon the, the universe itself and upon nature and I think um, is he, it's interesting to note that our chief festivals which have first were first of all Judaized and then Christianized actually all began as nature festivals. The spring, the gathering in of the fruits, the harvest, and all those things. And indeed, in many ways, that's what we need to return to. But, but they won't simply be returning to what they used to be in the ancient world. They'll be doing it in a way which is consistent with how we see the world today. So I think, I think for example, we need, we need a, a midwinter festival. Um, indeed, Actually, Christmas in the northern here, the northern hemisphere has yeah. played that. We, we in the southern southern hemisphere always have Christmas in the middle of summer. And so we need a, a, a midwinter festival. We need a spring festival, and we need festivals to to celebrate um, special features about the about human development too. And that's why I. I deplore the fact that there's dropped out of the church um, a, 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 a sort of a confirmation service, a service of helping us as adolescents to come to terms with being an adolescent and then a, and then maturity. Uh, I mean, the wedding service is, still remains and the funeral service remains, but the various pa the rites of passage as we pass from from infancy into old age, they need to be marked too in special rituals. So that's an idea that I would like to see developed. Yeah, I, I hear you saying that we need to, to celebrate the fact that we are that we are earthlings, um, and, exactly, and and exactly, Earth is yes. our home rather than an abstraction of something uh, transcendent. Uh, well. Certainly, the universe itself transcends us, but uh, that sense of uh, being close to nature, close to Earth. It's interesting to note that the one ritual which has changed 
quite significantly in, in the last century is the funeral service. In the, in the beginning, a uh, hundred years ago, it was always a send-off to the next world. Mm -hmm. Nearly all the funerals I go to today um, uh, do not do that at all. There is no mention of, of any, any hereafter. The funerals today are celebrations of a life that has come to an end. And sometimes the funerals get even joyful because they're so glad to remember all that the deceased person has given to them in, in their life and they rejoice in those things. So the, fun, the curious thing, no one designed this change. It just occurred this way. My guest has been uh, Lloyd Gearing, uh, a Presbyterian minister and, of course, an academic and an author of a number of books. His forthcoming book is From the Big Bang to God, Our Awe-Inspiring Journey of Evolution. It has been an honor and a delight to speak with you, Professor Gearing. Oh, thank you, John. I have enjoyed the, the opportunity very much to talk about these things with you. You've been listening to Religion for Life. Religion for Life is a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Sheck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. More information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and links to podcasts, can be found at religionforlife.com. That's religionforlife.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM and WETS-HD1 in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM in Emory, Virginia. Be well.